Okay, Boker Tov, we continue in the Gemara Moid Cut, and we're right at the top. Yud Beis Ahmed Aleph, we've been discussing various issues of working on Chola Moid. We're talking about certain contract work, or if you're a day worker, or whatever. So we're going to continue with that topic. Omar, and the, the problem over here, we'll see, a lot of it is Maris Ayin issues where people are going to think you've done something wrong uh, on Cholamoid. That's going to be the primary issue. So Shmuel says, Mekable Kibolos, those people who contract to complete a specific project. Okay, now remember, if you're contracting somebody, I'm paying you to get a job done. Now you can get the job done anytime. You don't have to do it on Cholamoid. So if you're doing it on Cholamoid, it's not on my request. So there's room for leniency because I'm not. it's not like I'm telling you to do it on Cholamoid as opposed to a daily worker where I'm paying you to do work for me on a daily basis and I'm paying you on Cholamoid. So when we had a contract over here, it depends where the contract work is being done. If it's Pesol Chatchom, if it's within the Tchum of the city limits. Remember, you cannot leave more than 2,000 Amis, a kilometer outside the city limits. In the days of the Gomorrah, it was a lot easier to do city limits than it is today. Because the Toronto city limits seem to never end. You go from one city limit into another city limit. But in the olden days, you left the city limit, you were in the forest or in the desert or whatever. So therefore, the issue is, if it is the contract work can be outside of the city even, but if it's within the city limits, then it is a sure. He's not allowed to do it because since people can be walking outside uh, within the city limits, so they're going to assume that the Jewish employer hired the guy to work on the Shabbos itself. So we're talking about Shabbos right now, but whatever, same idea. So by rabbinic law, a Jew is forbidden to instruct a non-Jew, whether on Shabbos or prior to it, to perform a luck on his behalf on Shabbos or on a festival. And he's not allowed to benefit from any work that's done on Shabbos. So a Jew cannot hire a non-Jew to perform work from on these holy days. There is a difference between a non-hired Jew by the hour or the day and one who contracts to complete a specific project within the constraint of a time. One hired to work specific hours is clear to be working for the Jew since his time is not his own. Therefore, the Jew may not benefit from his Sabbath work. One hired to complete a specific project, let's say a house, it's entirely independent of his employer regarding the hours he works, and it does not matter to his employer what hours he works, blah, blah, blah. So if the non-Jew works on the Sabbath, he's working for himself. It's his own interest to finish the job quicker. So therefore, it's not like he's working on behalf of the Jew on Shabbos. Now, Shmuel qualified. He says if the works takes place within the Tchum, it can't be, cannot be done because people will look at the work as it's done for a Jew, and we think the Jew hired him to do that job. Or, alternatively, we, fe- we fear the people will assume that he hired them as day workers to work on Shabbos, which is also prohibited. Therefore, in the case of work that's to be performed within the Tchum, the Jew may not enter into a contract with the Gentile unless he specifies <laughs> no work will be performed on the Shabbos. Okay, so... 
That is law number one, and the opposite, obviously, is also true. Chutz l'tchum mutter. But if it's outside of the tchum, then it's allowed because no Jews can travel that far. No Jew can go there. So to recap, this is a very uh, practical halacha. Okay? And this, unfortunately, there are certain Jews who just don't know the halacha. Okay? You got the guy who's doing work on your house. Renovations. Okay? Renovations cannot be done on Shabbos, on your house, even though even though you're hiring him to do the project. And really, Mitzad Haddin, Mitzad Haddin, he'd be allowed to work because he's doing it on his own desire if it's a non-Jew. But people are going to look and say, look, oh, he, 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 he got him to do the work for him. And there's other issues. It makes a lot of noise on shops, other issues. But uh, therefore, you can't do that uh, under those conditions. And he has to tell them not to work on the Shabbos or any other things that um, will be within the Tchum. Okay, now, here's an interesting one. Amar Rav Papa, Rav Papa takes it a step further. Even when we say outside the Tchum is allowed, but it's only if you're sure that no Jew is going to see this. What does that mean? So, We only say that you're allowed to do the work when it's outside of the Tchum, where there's no other Jewish city close to that place. Another city is not close. But if there's another Jewish city, so let's say I live here. The Tchum goes this far. They're doing work over there. But there's a Jewish city that is within the Tchum of the work we're doing for me over here. That's also Usher. Because the Jews of the other city will see them working and assume that the Jew hired them to work on that day. Now, obviously, they've got to recognize it's work for a Jew. So I always was wondering, well, how do you know if we're a Jew or not? So guess what? When you go to Eretz Yisrael and you take a good tour, you know. So what's the first, if you ever gone to a tour and you go see in the settlement, quote-unquote settlements, um, the first thing they're going to tell you is what's the difference between a Jewish settlement and an Arab settlement. Does anybody know? You never thought about this. Unless you have this tour guide, the Ira, who's fantastic. He's unbelievable. You, you, if I, when, once I tell it to you, you're going to go, oh, yeah. But if you don't think about it, you're not going to think of it. Of course, mezuzah, but you don't even have to be that close. You could be from a... a from an aerial view. The cranes are working. Look at the the cranes are working. One second. Somebody on, on the Zoom is speaking. What? Sokai area. For the, for the, the homes. Like there's an open balcony. <laughs> okay. Interesting. Sukkah balconies. Okay. Um, but there's a better one. The better one is, if you notice, first of all, if it's if it's a Jewish one, it's organized. Right. There's roads. There's infrastructure. An Arab one, a house here, a house there, a house there, number one. Number two, you notice the roofs are this reddish gable type of of, of um, rooftop. You know what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Arab ones are usually yeah, flat, yeah, yeah. flat cement. Yeah. That's a dead giveaway. 
Well, next time you go. I never know the air Look, you probably have no business going there. But like when we would go on these trips and we went into the, the settlement areas and we're going from one area and you see the Arab village right next door, you'll see they're usually, this was 20 years ago, but I imagine it's the same. So therefore, why am I saying this? So you're wondering, well, how do you know it's a Jewish settlement if it's far away from it? Because you could tell. You could tell a Jewish settlement from a Goyish settlement. An, an Arab settlement's got a lot of antennas and junky houses, and a Jewish house is done normal. Yeah. Usually, if they know it applies today, but usually they have a, a barrier to the Jewish settlements. If somebody there or not, doesn't matter. But usually they have one kind of a gate that would deal. So then, sometimes, the sometimes. I don't know if this yeah, still applies now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, there, there was a big debate uh, about 20 years ago if they should put fences around the settlements. This was a big debate amongst the settlers themselves. I hate to use the word settler. There must be there must be a more positive word for that. That's you know, uh, I don't know if it's pioneers. I don't like calling them settlers because they make it seem like we don't belong there. I don't want to I don't want to give that feeling but it's got it. but anyway, so there was a big debate when it was really bad, the terrorism was really bad, like right around two thousand or so. So they were debating should they put a fence around the Jewish settlements. And the two sides of the coin were, one said, we have to protect ourselves. The other one is, wait a minute, it's our land, and we shouldn't have to be putting barriers. We should put barriers around their places. Yeah, so, so that was more of a psychological issue. And there were certain places that put up fences, certain areas did not put up fences. But you're right, there's usually a checkpoint into a village. During the daytime, there's nobody yeah, there. So, that, so all I'm saying is, yeah. we, we could tell, we could tell who, you know, when you're talking about how can you tell it's a Jewish city, yeah, there's ways to tell if it's a Jewish city. And now you're going to see in a Jewish city with all those gables, you see cranes working on Shabbos. So we're going to say, oh, I guess you can work on Shabbos. Okay. Now, comes along, um, so now another qualification. Amar of Misharshit. Shash says, And even when there's no Jewish city close to that place, and it's outside of your tum, still there's another qualification. We only said it, That's only on a Shabbos and a Yontif where people can't travel outside the tum. Okay? But wait a minute. But what about Chol HaMoed? Can you travel outside the Chol HaMoed? Yeah, what, that, the whole Chol HaMoed uh, trips, yeah. <laughs> right? So then on those days, the low shechichi in Shidas Lihosam. On Shabbos and Yontif, no one's going to be going past the Chol Shabbos. And here's the connection to Maseches Moed Cotton. Where people do travel back and forth, then it is usher because people will travel and see there's no prohibition against traveling on Chol Hamoid. That, because otherwise, how are you going to have any fun? <laughs> okay, so now that we have these rules, uh, we're going to now have a couple stories. Marzutra, Braider of Nachman, bin, uh, so Marzutra, Banule Apadna, he built a mansion, okay, Mikabile Kabulas, that was on contract work, Chutz outside the Tchum. 
Okay, so non-Jews were under contract to build a mansion for Marzutra, the son of Nachman, outside Tchum, on Shabbos. And it was outside the Tchum. Okay. Ikla Rav Safra of Rav Huna Bar Rav Safra and Rav Huna Bar visited there. Velo Olo Legabe. When the house was done, in other words, the, the, the guy contracted, but Velo, they didn't go into that house on Shabbos. Now, I, well, forget about the reason, but what would be the only reason they wouldn't go into the house? According to their understanding. They figured the house was built not according to Allah. We don't know why yet, but let's just say, what do you mean? Why are they not going to this house? A beautiful mansion. Because they knew about the fact that he had contracted non-Jewish workers, even though it was a contract, and even though it was outside the Trum, and they were Goyim, but they still would not go in. Okay. So these rabbis, Rav Safran Ruhuna, other rabbis, they wouldn't go in. Now, another version of the story, the Igrami, Hunami Lavi, even Marzutra wouldn't enter his own mansion. Okay, okay. So, wait a minute. So, obviously, this story is contradicted from the statement that Shmuel just made. We just learned that's okay. Farmer Shmuel, Shmuel says, Mekable Kiboles, those who are under contract work, if it's inside the Tchum, yeah, also it's not allowed. But but outside the Tchum is allowed. And certainly this was outside the Tchum. So why didn't the rabbis, or the rabbi himself, why did he not benefit from the house? So a couple answers are given. Answer number one, it's always the default answer for a rabbi. Adam Choshev Shiny, a prominent person that's different. He has to hold himself to a higher standard. In other words, even though the halacha is, it's okay, but more spiritually minded people have to hold themselves to a higher standard. So even though so the... Why, cons- why did he build it itself? Well, himself we'll, we'll see. <laughs> Good question. Well, let's see. Even though the construction took place outside the room, they feared that the common folk would not realize this and would learn from the actions of the prominent ones that it's permissible to have Gentiles build even within the room. According to this reason, Marzutra should not have allowed the workers to build beyond the Tchum in the first place. Uh, uh, uh. So Magen explains, they undoubtedly specified in the contracts the workers should refrain from working on Shabbos. However, they acted contrary to the instructions. And it, it happens because, as Tony can verify, on Friday, the uh, Chinese guy who works here, now, when they put the uh, the elevator, Shabbos elevator, yeah. okay, so what do they do? They, he puts it on Friday morning when he leaves. We only need it till Saturday night. But he, he doesn't come back till Monday. And not till about 11 o'clock does he turn it off. So I told him on Friday, I said, keep it one more day. Just don't turn it off on Monday. And I said it right this way twice. So are you going to be responsible if something? I say, yes, fine, I'll be responsible. So what does the jerk do? He turns it off. Yeah. Right? You got it, you got into the shul with the elevator in the morning, right? But then he turned it off. Well, you the okay, so now you need any proof? You tell a goy what to do, and then just do it anyway. <laughs> okay? So that's one answer to the question. Another answer to the question, Amri, others say why they stayed away from the house. Siyua Saya Betivna 
that Mazutra assisted the workers by supplying them with straw for the bricks. Now, he didn't intend for them to build it on the Shabbos, but they did it without his knowledge. So when he realized what he had done, he would not make use of the mansion. Because here it's a little bit more. He was helping them. Even though he wasn't helping them to desecrate the Shabbos. But it looks really bad when the Jew is bringing straw. So it looks like they're, like everything's being done with his acknowledgement. You know, if you just hire the guy saying, I'm not even showing up. That's one thing. But here the Jew is showing up every day or maybe, you know, once a week, brings tons of straw. And now the Goyim are working down on Shabbos. So now when you're already helping with the construction, even though you don't, it's not for Shabbos, and you told the guy not to wear Shabbos. So I guess he's uh, adding a layer. In other words, according to the first shot, well, just telling them not to do it, and they did it. Okay, you want to say that's a higher level, but you could say maybe you don't have to be such a higher level. The second one's saying, no, you have to do a little bit more. Tell them not to do it, but they did it anyway, and you also assisted them in providing them some stuff. So then they're going to be more strict on themselves. But if they just told them not to do it and they did it anyway, then maybe they would not been as strict for that. How can he feel responsible? He doesn't. For, You're right. For something that they did without his Shelley, knowledge. So. Shelley, these people live on a higher level. That's all. You know. You're right. You don't have to. I wouldn't. I wouldn't not live in my house. You wouldn't. All of us. But these are tzaddik. These are like incredible. And they don't have. They don't have to be strict. But they want to be strict. From the, to the farthest away. How come the briskerov will shake about eight esrogim this yontif? He's going to take eight different esrogim. Now, nobody has to do that. But whatever, you know, this according to this opinion, maybe this isn't according to that opinion. So, this, so it, you're right. You know, but if a, a person's entitled, you want to you know, make a chumr for yourself. And he never, he never meant it's a law for anybody else. But for himself personally, he feels, you know, if... You know, there's there's all kinds of Kabbalah over here. You gotta understand this. All you know, let me let me give you a different story. I'm gonna just share it with you. Take it for its worth. I'm not necessarily subscribing to it. So one big rabbi is saying, you know, why why are a lot of the children going off the derech? Okay, again, I'm not saying this is the reason. It could be maybe. Also. He said that you know now the 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 goyish nannies are making all the food for our kids. Mm. Even though we have a leniency that we put the fire on first and it's not Bishalakum, but you know, it's there there is spiritual ideas. When a Yiddish mama is making uh oh, there was another story, I'll tell you, okay, story to story to story. There's once a Hasidish Rebbe, I don't remember who he what which one it was, he was really sick. He couldn't eat. And the son says, Please, Abba, you gotta eat, you gotta eat. He's gotta say, I can't, I'm not hungry. You have to eat. So you know what? If you if you bring me the soup from Mrs. So and So, her soup I can eat. Okay, fine. They go to Mrs. So and So, and they say, "Can the Rabbi So and So wants you to make a soup for him?" For sure. So, but they said, "Well, what what's what was so special about your soup?" I really don't know. I really don't know. Well, did he ever eat soup? Yeah, one time he ate soup. What was the story? Says, well, the rabbi was walking. My husband saw the rabbi, and we're very simple people. And figured, you know, the rabbi's walking by. Let me invite him into the house. Such an honor, the rabbi's here. So I quickly tell he quickly told him to make soup. She said, you know, we're dirt poor. I don't have anything. I don't have anything. Well, just make something. 
So she takes some water, she boils it up, she starts davening, she starts crying. She says, Hashem, please let the holy rabbi eat eat the soup and just and and make it taste good, Hashem. Always there water in her tears. And she says, That's the soup I want to eat. So people who are mystics, okay, they know that the soup isn't just soup. There's holy sparks in the soup, but depending on who makes it. Okay, and Yiddish mamas who make a filter fish, a lot of them, or, or any of our wives who make a challah. I know when my wife makes challah, separates challah, she's mama, she's crying, and she's saying to heal him. And all, it's a whole, it's like, it's like Marv, you know? I mean, just make, I, I say to myself, my yesterday, just say to Bracha, move on. No, no, no. For her, it's an avoider. And it is. She, she's mama, she's dominating for this one needs a shidduch, and this one. It's a whole geshef. That's, so why does it take so long to make the chal? It's like she's dominating Marv. Okay? So so there is something to that. Now, we don't have that perception. You have to be a tzaddik to have that perception. All right? And therefore, certain tzaddik are saying, you know, when the nanny makes it, we're not saying it's not kosher, but does she have these machshavas? A Jewish mother, when she's giving dinner for her children, there's more than just dinner on the plate. And it's not just love. It's, Mamish, I want this child to eat. He should learn Torah and be a... Okay, so now, if you, if you can accept that idea, so now if you're a tzaddik and you're living in a house, it's no different than eating food. It's better than the house. The house exudes degrees of kedusha depending on how it's made. Again, says the Vilna Gaon, he says, a shul that is made with 100% kosher money that's been donated. You know what kosher money means? Not from businessmen who made cheat money. You know, not money that came from Chil Shabbos. If it's made with kosher money and the builders are Jews and they build it with the right kavana, such a shul will never be destroyed. And there was one such Hasidic shul that was made in that accordance. And it's verified that the Germans tried to blow up that shul. They could not blow up that shul. The only thing they do was take it apart brick by brick, but they could not blow it up. So therefore, you see there is such a concept. So a tzaddik over here, me and you, we're not aware of any of this stuff. But a tzaddik who lives, he mamish senses, the shechina, senses the divine sparks, right? He says, how can I be in a house that the goy worked in a job, even though it's allowed? But it's got the goyish energy in there. On Shabbos to make it? That already, I can't do that. So that is an explanation, although it's not for us to have to worry about it. But for tzaddikim, that is something that makes sense. I, I don't know about that now. I mean, okay, you know, there's very few people we can call these kinds of tzaddikim. You know, you're talking about somebody like the Baba Sali, you know, who lived in, what do you call it, Nitivot over there in the south over there, and he, he lived in his little hovel. Yeah, that's where he would live. You know, but other people, I'm, t- I'm talking like really big, big people, you know, like you talk like, like Rabbi Yosef Chaim Sonnenfeld, like they lived in shacks, you know, and, and they was untouched by you, you know, like for years. But uh, okay, it's it's not for us. It's not for us, but to know that it exists and, and they're not expecting anybody else to hold to a standard. We should just know that there are people who understand these things. Just like there, there's the Arizal could tell you all about the Gilgulim that happened, that we have no idea what's going on. That happens too as well. Okay, we'll stop it over here. Good uh, start post Yom Kippur.
Oh, we should uh, recover completely.